Hello, this is David Keel, and I'd like to welcome you to TNBS, the Thursday Night Bible Study. This study was held on December 16, 2010. Tonight we're going to be looking at a few verses from the first chapter of Paul's letter to the church at Colossae. So, welcome again. This is TNBS, Volume 2, Session 33. We are in Colossians, chapter 1, verses 8 through 12. Now, a little history, so you can understand where this is coming from. Paul had never been at the church, had never been to Colossae, 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 depending on how you want to pronounce it, uh, C-O-L-O-S-S-A-E, I don't know how you want to pronounce that, but Colossae. Paul had never been to the church at Colossae. He did not establish the church at Colossae. And from best we can tell, it was probably Epaphras who actually went down and started the church at Colossae. We get that from verse 7 if you look. Just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow bondservant, who is a faithful servant of Christ on our behalf. Now, Epaphras was with Paul up in Ephesus. And so, apparently, he sent Epaphras down to Colossae, and he's the one who actually started that church. Colossae was in a valley right down the, right down the river from Laodicea, actually, which was another church that Paul had never been to. And one of the big issues that he's dealing with in this letter is the Gnosticism, which was just starting to, to flourish in, in the early first century. Uh, it came to a full fruition more in about the second and uh, late second, early third centuries when the Gnostics, uh, their philosophy really started flourishing. But uh, it started off here. That's one of the things he's dealing with. So Paul has never been there, but he's heard about this church. He had probably heard it from Epaphras, which is what we get gathered from verse, if we look at verse 8. And he, being the Epaphras, also informed us of your love in the Spirit. So this is the church that he's never started, but it, you know Paul and Paul's heart. It's kind of like the church at Rome. He had never been to that church before. But yet he had heard of their reputation of being one that had a, had a great love and knowledge of the Spirit. So he knew it was a loving church, knew it was a growing church. And he writes this letter to encourage them and to deal with this one issue of Gnosticism that was starting to crop up. And so he says, just, just as you have learned from Epaphras, and, and since he has informed us of your spirit, verse 9, for this reason also, since the day we have heard of it, we have not ceased to pray for you. Because Paul was constantly praying for the early churches, and we know this because he repeats this over and over. Uh, he talks about this in, in Corinthians. He talks about this in Philippians, where he, he's praying for the church. He talks about this in Ephesians, where he prays for the church. So I started thinking, Paul had never been to the church at Colossae, but yet he was still praying for this church. Still praying for the believers there. And I thought, well, I never met Paul either. Uh, he's never visited my house. So, but that's okay, because his prayer for this great church, which he's never seen or been to or never met, could be something maybe I could learn from as well. And that's what I want to pick up tonight. I want to look at what he's praying for for this church, which he's never seen and never been to. Now, in the letter of Romans, which we have just spent 30 lessons going through, we know why he was writing to them. Here he's going to deal with this Gnosticism later on in this, in this letter. But he starts off by telling them what he's praying for this church. So I figured if it was something that was important for that church in the early first century, it would probably be something important for us to listen to here in the 21st century. That's just the way Paul was. And it is. And that's what I want us to look at tonight. What is he praying for for this church when, he, when he's never been there, never seen it, but yet he has his prayer for them constantly? So that's what we're going to look at tonight. Starting in verse 9. For this reason also, for this reason that he has heard from Epaphras that they are uh, strong in the Spirit, we have not ceased to pray for you and to ask that you may be filled with knowledge of the will of God. Okay? 
that's a good place to start. Yeah, I could use that. I could use the knowledge of the will of God. Certainly, that would be something that I could use in my life. If I'm going to live the straight and narrow, if I'm going to stay on the narrow way, if I'm going to stay on the right path, if I'm going to, to live for God, yeah, I would, I, I would, that would be something I would need. So for him to be praying that, these, that the church at Colossae would have the, be filled with the, the knowledge of God's will, that's a good thing. All right, we'll pick it up from there. So I need that. But Paul also prays that in addition to this knowledge, which is epigenosis or epinosis, which means a more real knowledge, a more intense knowledge than just gnosis or gnosis, depending on whether you want to pronounce the G or not. In the Greek, there's two words for, for knowledge. Well, there's three words, actually. There's gnosis and epinosis. And here he's using the epinosis, which is a more intense form of the knowledge. So he's talking about a deeper knowledge, a more fuller knowledge of God's will. This is what he's praying for this church at Colossae. But he prays for not only for them to have knowledge, but he goes on and says, that you may be filled with the knowledge of God in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. Because he associates the fact that you need to have wisdom and understanding along with this knowledge. Knowledge alone, by itself, without wisdom... <laughs> And without the wisdom to use it and to use it properly or apply it to our lives, doesn't do us a whole lot of good. And the example I've used for eons, which is still a good example, that's why I still use it. You can take a four-year-old and teach him how to fire a pistol. You can give them the, the knowledge. You can teach them the facts. You can show them how to hold it. You can show them how to pull the trigger or cock the hand back and then pull the trigger. You can show them how to do that. But a four-year-old does not have the wisdom to know how to use a gun properly, the wisdom to know how to use that knowledge. So the knowledge without the wisdom doesn't do the four-year-old much good when it comes to a pistol. He doesn't know how to use it. He doesn't know when it should be fired properly or under what circumstances it should be fired. So knowledge by itself is just a bunch of facts. You need to have the wisdom to go with that knowledge. You need to have the wisdom to know how to properly apply that knowledge, how to properly use that knowledge, when to use that knowledge, and in what circumstances to use that knowledge. So having the knowledge of God's will, having God say, this is what I want you to do, is one thing. That's the facts. But we need to have the spiritual wisdom to know how to obey God's will and how to fulfill God's will and how to apply His will to our lives in that sense. So Paul is saying... I hope you'll be filled with spiritual knowledge, but also spiritual wisdom. And he goes on, and not only just wisdom, but also understanding, which is sumnesis, which means the ability to understand concepts and to, and to see the relationships between them. And it's almost like Paul is saying, okay, you need to have the wisdom to use the knowledge, and you need to have the understanding to relate it to our lives. This is what he's praying for this church. Guys, I want you to have the knowledge of God's will. I want you to know what God's will is. But I also want you to have spiritual wisdom to know how to use that knowledge and understanding so you can, so you can relate it to your own life and to the life around you and to circumstances in your life. This is what he's praying for this church, which is a great prayer and it's something that I desperately need in my life, I know. So we need to have the knowledge, but we need to have the wisdom and the understanding to go with that knowledge. This is what he's praying for. Now, moving on, he says, And having this knowledge and the wisdom and understanding, look at verse 10. The reason I want you to have this knowledge, wisdom, and understanding, it says, so, so that you may walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. So we may walk. And of course, Paul uses that phrase, so you may walk. He uses it over in Ephesians 3, 4, and 5, he uses it four times. He uses that phrase over in Romans. He uses that phrase in a lot of his letters, to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. And what he's talking about is 
to live in a proper way. You have this knowledge, you have this wisdom, you have this understanding, so therefore, i.e., you should live your life a certain way. You should live your life in a manner that's worthy of the Lord, that brings honor to the Lord. That's what he's saying here. That's the way we should live our lives. That's the way we should. He uses the term walk, but he's talking about the way we live our lives is basically what he's saying. And, when, and it needs to be worthy. Achios is actually, it means suitable or proper. <coughs> The way we live our lives should be suitable and proper because of this wisdom and knowledge and understanding that we have. So once we know what God desires, we should live accordingly so that our lives reflect positively back on our Lord. We we are living our lives in a manner that's worthy to God. It's worthy of God. It's worthy of this knowledge and understanding which we have. It has a positive reflection back on our Lord and Savior. When I read that, I thought, well, okay. That's kind of like what Paul talks about over in his letter to 1 Timothy, which is, y'all know, is my, my key verse for, for, for youth ministry and has been for 30-something years. 1 Timothy 4.12, where it says, Let no one look down on their youthfulness, but rather, in your speech, conduct, faith, love, and purity, be an example. That's exactly what Paul is talking about. In the letter to Timothy, he said, Timothy, you're a young pastor, but don't let anybody put you down because you're young. But... Your life, in the, in the way you, you speak, and the way you conduct yourself, and the way you love your faith, the way you demonstrate your faith, in the purity of your life, should be an example of one who follows Jesus Christ. That's what that verse says. That's what I wish every student who's ever sat under my tutelage would claim as being their mantra for life. Ooh. Y'all like that? Man, I just connected a bunch of good words. Those are three or four SAT words there, right? One phrase. <laughs> Sitting under my tutelage should be the mantra of your life. Oh, right. <laughs> but it is. I mean, you know, that's what we ought to be living. We ought to be examples in the way we speak and in the way we conduct ourselves and in the way we love and in the way we demonstrate our faith and the purity of our lives should be an example. This is what Paul is talking about here. We should be walking, living in a manner that's worthy of our Lord because of the spiritual wisdom and understanding we have of the knowledge of God's will. And this is what he's praying for this church. This is what I desire for you folks to have. Don't know you personally, but that's okay. This is my prayer to God. God, give these people knowledge of your will, but give them the wisdom and understanding to use and apply it properly, so that they may walk in a manner that's worthy unto you. This is his whole point. For walking in a manner that is worthy unto God, does several things. Living a life that is worthy unto God does several things. And he's going to lay them out here. The first thing he does there, looking at verse 10 again. Walk in a manner so that you can please him in all respects. So if we live our lives that way, it will be pleasing unto our Lord and Savior. If we live in our life worthy of him, it is pleasing to him. And he goes on to say, not only is it pleasing, but it says that that is the way that we can bear fruit. Now remember, in the biblical term, to bear fruit means to do godly things, to do good works, to live a good life, to do godly whatever, to bear fruit. And he uses the word there, karpophoreo is the Greek word. It uses two words together, karpos, which means fruit, and phero, which means to bring or to bear. So karpopheros, he says, is the word he used there, which means to bear fruit. Interesting enough, where else do you hear ever, anybody in the Bible talking about bearing fruit? Does that ring a bell with anybody? Christ talks about bearing fruit. It's near John 14. Very near John 14. No, it's in John 15. 
<laughs> John 15, remember the vine and the branches? Christ talks about the vine and the branches, and, and he says, if, you're, if, you, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, he says, you will bear fruit. He talks about no fruit, fruit, more fruit, and much fruit. He talks about it in those seven verses. But look at verse 8, and that's the verse I want to look at here. By this, what, by what? By this, that means by, by this bearing of fruit. By this, my Father is glorified. That you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. So what does this walking in a manner worthy of the Lord do? It pleases God. It helps us to bear fruit, to be fruitful in our lives. Well, what does that do? That glorifies God, and that proves that we're His disciples. So see how it's all connected here. By the way, that phrase uh, in John 15 where it says, By this my Father glorified that you bear much fruit. The Greek words there are pharopolus karpos. Now, Paul in his letters uses the word karpoforero in one word. Christ here uses he splits it back up and he says pharokarpos, I mean bearing fruit. So it's the same two Greek words, just that Paul combines them into a single word. Interesting enough. So this is what walking in the manner worthy of the Lord does. It pleases the Lord. It causes us to bear fruit, which glorifies God, which proves us to be his disciples. All walking in the manner worthy of the Lord. So this is what this does. So walking or living a life worthy of our Lord will cause us to live fruitful lives that will please and glorify our Father. What greater goal could we have in our lives than to please and glorify our Father? And we do that by how? By bearing fruit. Well, how do we bear fruit? By walking in a manner worthy of the Lord. Well, how do we do that? By having the knowledge of His will and the spiritual wisdom and understanding to use it. This is what He's praying for these folks here. But it also, it does something else. Reading on. Let me get back to Colossians now. Verse 10, So that you may walk in a manner, please Him in all respects, bearing fruit in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God. So walking in such a manner will also cause us to increase in our knowledge of God. To increase, the Greek word there means to grow. To grow in our knowledge of God. Luke reading on verse 11. Which that will strengthen us with all power, according to His glorious might, for the attaining of all steadfastness and patience. Joyously giving thanks, it says in verse 12. Joyously giving thanks to God the Father who has qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints of His life. So, Walking pleases and glorifies God, but it also causes us to increase in our knowledge, which that will strengthen us. Dunamo, remember, like dynamite. That's the Greek word that's used there. It will strengthen us in his power, which is, a, is, very, is another derivation of that same word. So he says, bearing this fruit and walking in such a manner pleases, glorifies God, yes, but it also causes us to increase in knowledge. And what does that do? That strengthens us. Gives us dynamite, gives us, it strengthens us in His power, gives us the, the, the power in His power. That will cause us to remain steadfast. Hupomone, you know, you my two favorite phrases there, hupomone and, and macrothemia. It will cause us to be steadfast, hupomone, which means to remain under things, to, be, to deal with circumstances of life. And He follows that right back up with patience, which is macrothemia, which means that we can deal with difficult people. Okay? Hupomone, you stand up under difficult circumstances. Macrothemia, you can stand up with difficult people. In fact, macrothemia, actually, if you look at the actual definition of that word, it means it describes someone who has the ability to take revenge but refuses to do so. 
That's really what that means. You have the ability to take revenge, or you have the, the authority, or you have the power to do it, but you choose not to. So you're being patient with people. Now, hupo moment A means, remember, hupo means under. You just bear up under circumstances and situations and problems and difficulties. Now, for all of this, we obviously we give thanks to God for allowing us to share in the inheritance of the saints, as he says there in verse 12. But when I read that, I started thinking, you know, I mean, you talk about the circle of life here. Look at, look at this circle. Look at this circle that Paul is talking about here. Going from verse 9 through verse 12, okay? He starts off by saying, okay, first of all, you need to have knowledge. I want you to have knowledge. And with that knowledge, with wisdom and understanding, that is going to cause you to have worthy living, to, to live a life that's worthy of God, which pleases God. That is going to cause you to bear fruit, which will glorify God by doing good things. That is going to be causing you to be strengthened with His power. That is going to cause you to be steadfast and patient and victorious in circumstances. And that is going to cause your knowledge to increase. Now, where did this whole thing start? Knowledge. With knowledge. You got knowledge goes to worthy living, which goes to fruit bearing, which goes to steadfastness, which goes to patience, which goes to increased knowledge, which goes right back up to the beginning, knowledge. And you start this whole cycle over and over again. In my mind, anyway. That's what he's saying. Knowledge. Worthy living. Fruit bearing. Strengthening. Steadfastness. Patience. Increased knowledge, which brings you right back to what? Increased knowledge, which increases your worthy livingness. Increases your fruit bearing, which increases your strength, which increases your steadfastness, which increases your patience, which increases your knowledge, and you start the whole cycle all over again. This is what he's talking about here. And you can't go the other way. And you can't start in the middle. You can't say, well, I'm going to start off by being strong. No, because the way you're strong is by bearing fruit. That's what helps you to be strong. Well, yeah, but okay, well, I'm going to start with fruit bearing. No, you can't start with fruit bearing because in order for you to bear fruit, you've got to be living a life that's worthy of God. Well, can I start there? No, because in order to be living a life that's worthy of God, you've got to have knowledge of His will. So you see, one is dependent upon the other. So you can't exactly go backwards through this cycle. But this is what Paul is praying for this church, which he's never visited, which he doesn't know. And it's almost like he's saying, okay, I haven't had a, chair, a chance to share with you, but this is what my prayer for you is. This is a good starting point for y'all. This is a good starting point for you to continue to grow in your spirit and to grow in your love for each other. And you start off with knowledge of God's will, with the wisdom and understanding to apply. Did these people know who Paul was? Yes, they did. Okay. Yeah. If you stop thinking about me, like I said, Epaphras came from Paul okay, there okay. to start it. So I'm quite sure that was his introduction to these <laughs> folks, you know. So yes, Paul was known by his reputation, okay. just like this church was known by their reputation. So yeah, he wasn't a stranger writing to the church, no. <laughs> they did know Paul. Yeah. Um, now, now, Paul was not the only one. Uh, he was not the only traveling preacher, so to speak, back in those days. There were others. Well, Epaphras, for example, he's, he went down and started the church there. Uh, Timothy, you know, started the church, was working at Ephesus. Uh, the Apollos was one that he mentions in 1 Corinthians, which I remember is another being teaching. And, of course, there were a whole bunch of false teachers that were running around as well. But Paul was known by his reputation. In fact, I did not check when the letter, the, I mean the date on this letter as to when he wrote this, as to where, where does this fall in his life, or his, his, his ministry. But I have a feeling that this is probably after, at least after his first or second missionary journey, somewhere in there. When he's, maybe when he's up in Ephesus, I think, is when he wrote this letter, which I think was 
the second journey, I think. I can't remember. Hmm? AD 62. AD 62? Most, most probably is what it says. While well, he's a prisoner in Rome. Oh, really? That's what it says, most probably. Most probably while he's a prisoner in Rome. Okay. AD 62 would have put it about the time he wrote the letter of Romans. He wrote the letter of Romans in the late AD 50s or early 60s, I think. So, Okay, why he was a prisoner in Rome. I guess when I was thinking he wrote it while he was in Ephesus, I was thinking that's where Epaphras came from. Epaphras was with, was with Paul in Ephesus. So, Ephesus was about, I think, 100 miles away, something like that. And we know Epaphras was with Paul, and then we have Epaphras here. In verse 7, we verse 7 and 8 kind of explains that just as you have learned from Epaphras so Epaphras obviously has taught them he says and he meaning Epaphras has also informed Paul so it was was the same type of thing so but it's this 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 cycle that I want us to think about tonight and and realize that if this was good advice for the early church that day is certainly good advice for us as well to have the knowledge of God's will but with that knowledge you need to have the wisdom and understanding it needs that. So we need to know what the Word of God says. We need to have the facts. We need to be able to know, to know Scripture in that sense, to have the knowledge. But we also need to have the Holy Spirit to guide us on how to use that knowledge. We need the spiritual wisdom and understanding to know how to use that knowledge. And in doing that, that will help us to walk or to live our lives in a manner that's worthy of God, that reflects well on our Savior, that that is, has a good impression as far as God because of, of, we are God's representatives in that sense. So by having, this, by having the knowledge of His Word and the wisdom to, to apply that and the understanding of, of how to apply that, that will help us to live a life that is worthy of God. And that will please God to live such a life. And in doing that life, one of the ways that we demonstrate a life walking worthy of God is by our fruit bearing, by, by, by doing godly things, by obeying a God, by doing good works, by bearing fruit in the biblical sense. And that will glorify God, says Christ. He says, not only will it glorify my Father if you're bearing fruit, he said, but also proves that you're my disciples, which kind of infers the fact that we can't bear fruit without having this relationship with Jesus Christ that he talks about in the vine and the branches in that 15th chapter. Because we can't. And he makes that statement. He said, apart from me, you can do nothing. And that's one reason why it glorifies God. And that's one reason why it proves that we're his disciples. In fact, in those two chapters, Christ, well, three chapters, because this is the very end of the 13th chapter of John, Christ makes two statements on how we can prove to the world that we're his disciples. In John 15, 8, he says we bear fruit. We do good works. And in John 13, 13, 35, by this all men will know that you are my disciples if you have love one for another. So those are two obvious ways that we can prove to be God's disciples. Is our love for each other, John 13, 35, and our bearing of fruit, John 15, 8. And that will glorify the Father. This knowledge with wisdom and understanding will cause us to live a worthy life, which will cause us to bear fruit, which will please the Father, which will glorify God, which will prove that we're His disciples. In this process, we will be strengthened by His power to deal with life and circumstances and difficulties. 
We will gain patience to deal with people and difficult people. And we will, in, in that, we will be increasing our knowledge, which goes through the whole cycle all over again. And this is how we become more and more and more like Christ. By seeking knowledge, wisdom, understanding, living worth of life, bearing fruit, pleasing Him, glorifying Him, and in that manner proving to be His disciples, to be strengthened by His power, to be steadfast, to have patience, and to increase our knowledge, which will increase our ability to live for Him, which will increase our fruit, which will increase us pleasing Him, which will increase us glorifying Him, which will increase us being stronger, which will increase our steadfastness, which will increase our patience, which will increase our knowledge. Around and around we go. Great prayer of Paul. But it's a great cycle for us to get ourselves involved in and to live by. Because I promise you guys, just as much as the church at Colossae needed it 2,000 years ago, I need it as well. And to please our Father and to glorify Him, what better could we do than that? And we do that through fruit bearing, and we do that by worthy living, and we do that from knowledge, wisdom, and understanding. And that will cause us to be strong and steadfast and patient. It's a good mantra to live by. Pray with me. Father God, this is good stuff, God. It really is. And Lord, I pray that I, my life indeed may please you and glorify you. For I desire to bear fruit, and I desire to walk in a manner worthy of you. I desire to reflect positively on my Savior. But in order to do that, God, I need your strength. I need to be strengthened by your power so that I can be steadfast when life tries to knock me down, so that I can have patience when things just don't go right and, and people are just constantly putting me down or, or making it difficult. So, Father, I pray for wisdom that I can use the knowledge which I have studied and gained from your word that I may walk and live and please you and glorify you. Thank you, Father, for allowing us even to gain the knowledge from you. Thank you, Father, for forgiving us when we just flat fail and we displease you and we don't reflect positively on our Lord and Savior. Thank you, Father, for forgiving us when we even at times disgrace you. I pray, Lord, that you will indeed take our lives. May they be used for your glory. May they bear fruit. May we prove to be your disciples. And may everything we do, everything we say, every thought we have, be pleasing to you. For this is my prayer in and through the name of Jesus Christ. Your Son, my Savior and my Lord, and my very bestest friend. Amen and amen. I want to thank you for joining us tonight. And as always, 
If you have any questions, comments, or even suggestions for future study, please send me an email. My address is David L. Keel at gmail.com. So until next time, I do pray that we all, you and I both, may we walk in a manner that is worthy of our Lord, pleasing Him and glorifying Him. May God bless you.